A couple of years ago, a hotel and an airport south of Brussels eh, in Belgium attracted attention because of a unique offer to guests. For a small fee, they offered guests the possibility of renting a pet fish for the night. Their idea was that some of their guests might be a little bit lonely in their hotel rooms and that a pet fish would provide them the company that they needed. Now, I don't know if you think that would make a difference or not. I don't know how much you like having pet fish. Martin would like that, I know, because he likes his pet fish. But apparently, some people actually really like that idea. Uh, the, the hotel uh, reported that they were renting a fish, a few fish every week. And some of them, it made, them, made the people who took them smile. And some of them were even taking photographs of their fish and posting it on social media. This is my new found friend. Now, I think that highlights a very real problem that many people have in the world today. There are lots of people who feel isolated and alone. And that can happen even if we have lots of other people around us. We can still feel isolated and alone for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes because our relationships with others are always more superficial and shallow than we really long for. We really long for that depth and that connection with people. And if truth be known, we don't do well with loneliness. It can impact both our mental health, but also our physical health. Doctors even claimed that loneliness is more dangerous to our health than obesity. And that it's as damaging as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We are designed for relationships. We long to connect with someone. To know that someone is really there for us. Someone who knows us. Someone who values us. Who can come alongside and guide us and help us through all the challenges that we face. On the night before the cross, Jesus' disciples were troubled. Because Jesus had told them that he was about to leave them. The one that they'd been following, the one that they'd been depending on, the one who'd helped them when they didn't know what to do, or who'd corrected them when they'd lost their way. He was leaving them. And so as was seen over the last three weeks, Jesus encouraged them. He encouraged them to be a community of love for each other. And he encouraged them to trust that he was going to come back for them. And last week we were thinking about how Jesus encouraged them to believe that he would continue his work through them. But then he went on to tell them the most amazing news. That even although he was going away, They were not going to be alone. So let's read this wonderful passage in John chapter 14. It's from verse 15 uh, down to the end of the, of the, the chapter. So John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of the world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. I think the great, the great encouragement in this passage here is that Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Even although he was going to leave them the, the, that night, they, these disciples would not be left alone. That was because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I'm sure many of us know, is the third person of the Godhead. He is fully God. Equal with the Father and the Son. And like the Father and the Son, He is a person. He's not an it, but a He. Not an impersonal force or a feeling, but a real person that we can relate to. And he comes into our lives as a precious gift from the Father. See verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor. The Father gives us the Spirit. But the Spirit comes closely linked with the person and the work of Jesus as well. So verse 26 the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. 
In Jesus' name, the Spirit comes. In in response to Jesus' request and in Jesus' name. That means in His place to continue and to complete His work. And so Jesus can equally say about the Spirit that I will send Him to you. That's really important. Crucially important that we understand that. Because we mustn't separate the work of the Spirit from the work of the Father and of Jesus. They are intrinsically linked. As the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He comes to continue the work of Jesus that the Father sent Him to do. But not everybody is going to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Jesus said, The world cannot accept Him. Instead, He said, He will give you another another counsellor. He will give this counsellor to the disciples. To those who believe in him. That's what John spoke about earlier in John chapter 7. He said, the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This gift was not given to the disciples because of their goodness or their faithfulness or their abilities or their achievements. Which is just as well because they were really a mixture of doubters and deniers and strugglers. Instead, this gift was given to the disciples because of their faith in Jesus. Because they had believed The gift of the Spirit is the gift of God's grace. A totally free and undeserved gift. Accepted by faith. And it's paid for by Jesus on the cross. That's why the disciples had to wait for this gift. Jesus is talking to them here before they receive this gift. They're still waiting. They had to wait for Jesus' work on the cross to be completed. But since that day, as we were celebrating that beautiful song, It Is Finished, when Jesus declared His work complete. Since that day, and since the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, it's given to all who have trusted in Christ. On that day, Peter announced to the crowd, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those listening on that day of Pentecost, they did not need to wait for the gift of the Spirit, as the disciples had. They didn't need to wait until they grew in understanding or appreciation of all that Jesus has done. Because this gift is for everybody who repents and who puts their trust in Jesus. And this gift is also a permanent gift. See verse 16? The Holy Spirit comes to be with you forever. Before Pentecost, 
in the Old Testament era, the Holy Spirit came on specific people at specific times to empower them for specific tasks. Sometimes in response to disobedience, the Spirit was actually taken from them. But now, since the cross, the Spirit is given to people forever. He comes to stay as an enduring sign that they are part of God's family. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, that having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who has a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the amazing news is today, that the Holy Spirit is the permanent gift of God. To all who have trusted in Jesus, to all who have accepted His finished work on the cross, And His presence in our lives makes all the difference in the world. As we've seen, Jesus said, I am the truth. He is the true revelation of God. But if Jesus was going to leave, who was going to continue to lead the disciples in that truth? Who was going to teach them the truth that they needed to learn? Well, the Holy Spirit He is the Spirit of truth. Just as they trusted in and depended on Jesus to be the truth and to teach them the truth, so they would trust and depend on the Spirit. I don't know if you've thought about this, but sometimes it appears that we need to choose between focusing on truth or focusing on the Spirit. It's as if there are some Christians, even some churches, who are into Bible study, who are into Bible teaching, who are into theology. And then there are others who are just into the Spirit. Who want experience and emotion in worship. <coughs> Excuse me. But this passage tells us that it shouldn't be one or the other. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is concerned about truth. He values truth. He wants to teach us the truth. Jesus said in verse 26, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. So if we are a Spirit-filled church, if we are a Spirit-filled Christian, then we will be focusing on trying to understand and holding on to and teaching the truth. And this also means that knowing and understanding God's truth is not something that we need to leave to the Bible experts or to the college professors. Because it's something that we can all experience if we depend on the Holy Spirit to teach us. This is what shocked the religious leaders of the, in, in, the early, in the days of the early church. Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The disciples were not highly educated people. They were not college graduates. Their understanding and their clarity of belief did not come from an education in one of the institutions of the day. Instead, it was because they'd spent time with Jesus. And they'd been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth. So knowing God's truth isn't about education. It's about revelation. It's not really about our our intelligence levels. It's about our openness to what God is saying to us. So don't ever think, oh well I can't understand this. Or I'll never really understand the Bible because I don't have that certain level level of education. Or I haven't been to to Bible college. Or I haven't studied theology. It's not about that. It's about the gift of the Holy Spirit who leads us into that truth. So Paul's prayer for the the church in Ephesus was that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. But if we are depending on the Holy Spirit to teach us, if we are seeking to learn and grow and be taught by Him, what will He teach us about? Look at verse 26 again. Jesus said that He will remind you of everything I have said to you. What does the Holy Spirit teach us about? It teaches us about Christ. The teaching of the Spirit is Christ-centered. Here again is that connection between Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit will never contradict the work of Jesus. Instead, Jesus will say later in chapter 15, He will testify about me. He will teach us more about Jesus. He will remind us about the teaching of Jesus. He will help us to appreciate the person of Jesus. And he will apply the truth of Jesus to our lives. The focus of the work of the Spirit is never to focus us on the Spirit. The focus of the work of the Spirit is to help us to focus on Jesus. So whatever our level of education or experience, or understanding, we can know the truth of Christ. We can understand it, we can be certain about it, we can stand for it, because we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. But the Spirit doesn't only help us to know this truth. He also helps us to put it into practice. To put it into action. Look at verse 15, the first verse that we read this morning. If you love me, you will obey what I command. The test of our love for Christ is not really our knowledge, but instead it's our Obedience. 
Disobedience doesn't make us right with God. But rather it's, a hum, it's an expression of our humble gratitude. Our overwhelming thankfulness. Our awe-filled worship of the one who has already made us right with God. Who has made, saved us by his grace. And of course Jesus is the perfect example of that love-motivated obedience. Verse 31, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commanded me. Jesus completely, fully, totally, perfectly obeyed his Father's will. Why? Because he loved them. It was love motivated, not guilt motivated, not fear motivated, not pressure from others or pleasing others motivated, but love motivated and we are called to the same. To obey Jesus, not because because we're trying to become children of God, but because we are children of God. And we love Him. And we want to please Him in everything that we do. But none of us do that perfectly, do we? I'm sure we're all aware of how far we fall short of that. Even when we want to obey, we struggle to do so. This was Paul's uh, testimony of his struggle in Romans chapter 7. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody experience that? Anybody know, know what that feels like? You keep on doing the thing you don't want to do? And you can't do the good that you really want to do. But in this struggle, we're not left alone. We're not left as orphans. Because Jesus here called the Holy Spirit another counsellor. This wonderful title of counsellor is the Greek word paraclete. Which means someone who's called alongside to help. It's an advocate. Or a counsellor. Or an encourager. Or a helper. One who gently comes alongside us to teach us, to remind us, to support us. One who works not instead of us. Not in spite of us, but one who works with us and in us to live out the life that we're called to live. For the past three years, Jesus had been that counsellor to his disciples. But now he was going away. But the Spirit would come as another counsellor, just like Jesus had been, to continue this role in their lives. So because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're not just left to stumble and struggle on our own to live for Christ. We already heard this wonderful verse uh, this morning in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He changes us from the inside out, giving us the desire and the ability To live for Christ. 
So today we don't need to be limited by who we are, our background, our experience, our, our weaknesses, our personalities, our characters, all the things that we struggle with. They don't need to limit us. They don't need to restrict us. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit we have a new life. This was God's promise to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's two, little, two more gifts that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. As he does this, he also brings us the peace of God to guard our troubled hearts. Verse 27, this wonderful verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The world tries to produce peace in our lives. Maybe by changing our circumstances. Or guaranteeing our resources. Or getting rid of the problem or the trouble. The picture is, you'll have peace if you, if you win the lottery and you can sit on a desert island somewhere. And then finally you'll have some peace. But Jesus here promises to put that peace deep down in our hearts. So that we can experience a wholeness, a completeness, a security that surrounds us even in the most difficult of circumstances. Even in the middle of trouble. God wants to give us that peace. So that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, or you could maybe translate it, which just doesn't make sense, it blows our minds, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that guards our hearts and minds in the storm of life. That peace that comes from the work of Jesus on the cross, what we've just celebrated in our communion time. In Romans 5, Paul says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of the cross has taken away our enmity with God and so we have peace with Him. We have been reconciled to Him. But that peace that Jesus has won for us on the cross is then produced in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The Spirit speaks into our hearts that we belong to Christ. Tells us that we are truly forgiven. That we are safe in His hands. And that no matter what, we're heading for home in our Father's home, house. But there's one final gift I want to mention this morning. Because ultimately this peace comes from being confident of the presence of God. The disciples would not be left as orphans. Because the Spirit lives with you and will be in you. And through this gift, Jesus could say, I will come to you. 
Now maybe Jesus was referring first of all to his resurrection in a few days time. Verse 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. The last time that the world saw Jesus was when Joseph and Nicodemus took him down off the cross and buried him in that tomb. The next time the world will see Jesus, he is going to come in power and glory to judge him. But the disciples, they saw the risen Christ. Because of their faith and their love, Jesus revealed himself to them. And they entered into a life, the life of the one who had conquered death. But I think Jesus here meant more than this. When he said, I will come to you. Because when he was leaving them and ascended to the Father, he said, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. In a very real sense, yes, Jesus was leaving them, but in a very real sense, he would never leave them. Because the gift of the Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into our lives. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. But not only that, he also brings the presence of the Father to us. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. We've seen that word home before in this chapter, haven't we? Do you remember? The word home here is the same word translated in verse 2 of this chapter. In my father's house are many rooms, dwelling places. One day, Jesus will take us to our dwelling place, our home in the father's house. But until that day, God will make his home in us. His dwelling place will be here in us. So today, we are the house of God. House of God is not one of these big buildings with the big spires in our town. They are not the house of God. We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, that brings awesome responsibilities into our lives. Because of this reality, we should live differently every day. Don't know if you, when you were growing up, you were told when you went to church, you need to behave because you're going into God's house. Anybody told that? But we should live differently because we are God's house. So Paul writes, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God with your body. God's presence should change how we live. How we respect this body that God has given us. How we look after it. What we do with it. It matters because God lives here. We are God's 
house. But most of all, this, this reality brings such wonderful privilege to us. The privilege of intimacy with God, of His love, His grace, His protection, His power, His care. This is Jesus' promise to us today. However we feel, we can rejoice because God has promised, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So today, if we've trusted in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. He is the gift from God. He, the one who brings into our lives God's revelation, His help, His peace, His presence. This is what the disciples experienced at Pentecost. And it transformed their lives. And I pray that each one of us will live in that reality today. Guys, we're not orphans. We are children of God. And so we'll never be on our own.